I've never had a kid from the inner city tell me that, and not because they wouldn't be interested in it, but because they don't know it exists, right? right. And so that's really where the exposure part comes from. Um, and you can't navigate in, you, I mean, you get in a car uh, and you you got some place to go. If you don't know how to get there, any road yeah. will take you there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and the narratives and the expectations you get are not there because the reasons why people have that Doctors and engineers, thats that we need to have more of that narrative, but at least they see that some. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome, everybody, to Disruption Now, the Art and Equity Summit. With me is Damian Hoskins with Elements, um, and he is the general manager uh, of that, and he's... Uh, He's going to tell you about what they do with hip hop, arts and culture. And we're also going to have a deeper conversation about what it means to have art and equity, how to set yourself up, how to get yourself the right exposure, the right infrastructure, ownership and all that stuff. And tell you a little about his journey and learn a little more. Damien, how you doing? I'm good. Rob, how about yourself, man? Hey, man, doing well, doing well. Uh, appreciate you coming on and appreciate you being here and participating today. Uh, again, we'd love to take your comments. Let us know as you go along in the audience. Ask us some questions. We'll make sure to uh, answer it. Uh, after we're done talking here, wrapping a little bit. So, you know, this this this, this segment is about, uh, you know, nav- navigating the creative economy. There are certainly uh, a lot of opportunities in this economy. Uh, it's been more democratized than it ever has been. It doesn't mean things are nearly at the level of uh, equity they need to be, but there's the opportunity to do that more than there ever has been. And really want to talk to you about that. Sure. You're an artist. You, you, you work with artists a lot. Uh, you work with artists in hip hop. You've had a lot of experience as an artist personally yourself. Walk me through what you would say to some aspiring artists that are working to figure out how do I make sure that I navigate the barriers appropriately within the creative economy? Uh, first, it would start, I, I think, uh, with being exposed to uh, the various facets of the creative economy of whatever that art form is and the economic ecosystem that surrounds that art form. Right. Um, and, you know, typically when you're talking about um, the people that we serve at elements uh, and the people that, you know, have some of an affinity to uh, the, the young black and brown people, there's a, there's an exposure deficit. Right. Um, there, you know, you know, I taught school, uh, Rob, for about 13 years. I taught middle school. And the good thing about middle school kids is they're not kids anymore, but they're sort of navigating this gray space. And they're like blank canvases. You can you can inform them, empower them uh, to see things differently and change the trajectory of their lives. But the vast majority of those kids wanted to be like one of five things. Very broadly, they want to be like doctors, lawyers, entertainers, athletes, or a barber and beautician, somewhere around there. Yeah. Uh, I've never had a kid say, you know, I want to be a culinary artist. I want to be a chef. I never had a kid say, I want to be an architect. I want to be, you know, a graphic designer, a web developer, you know what I mean? A set designer on a Broadway stage. Like I've never had a kid from the inner city tell me that. And not because they wouldn't be interested in it, but because they don't know it exists. Right. And so that's really where the exposure part comes from. Um, and you can't navigate. You, you I mean you get in the car 
uh, and you you got some place to go. If you don't know how to get there, any road yeah. will take you there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and and the narratives and the expectations you get are not there because the reasons why people have that doctors and engineers that's been, we need to have more of that narrative. But at least they see that some exactly. Uh, they, but uh, I saw this meme. It just reminded me of what you just kind of put something in my brain just now. It said, like, let's start talking to over six foot black men and not just say, oh, are you an athlete? You should be an yeah. athlete. Are you sure you're not an athlete? Maybe like, yeah. oh, why yeah. are you a graphic artist? Are you yeah. a, yeah, are you exactly. an engineer? Right. Right. Setting exactly. different narratives and expectations. Exactly. That's exactly right. And we have through language. We, I mean, you know, all of that can be codified. Like you can literally craft and empower a kid just by the things that you tell them, share with them, and expose them to. Uh, and you can change how they view themselves, right? Which is really, really important. So, one like so to go back to your question, as far upstream as we can go to address that, and I'm talking like exposures as young as you know elementary school. You know, kids are always expressing themselves visually, creatively with colors and pictures and shapes because that's 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 how they communicate. Um, at a certain point, though, you know that stops. And then we begin to focus on more sort of the technical aspects of learning. Now, if you're a, and I, I'm was this, I fall in this category. I'm a visual learner. You know, I'm a I painter. Too. You know, I'm a painter, a graphic designer. Um, put me in a trigonometry class, uh, and I'm not going to be as successful unless I can draw. <laughs> you know, whatever those whatever those equations are supposed to be, or, or put some kind of graphic around it, uh, then it helps me to understand them. And I think, um, you know, when we're able to expose our kids to the the vastness of the creative space, uh, then it opens up their minds to what's possible. You know, and then you can you can move out of those just five things uh, and and move into something entirely different. Every every medical office. Uh, every, you know, everybody in the healthcare industry has a, has a logo, a brand, right? A brand identity that was created by somebody who's not a doctor, but you wouldn't know about that, that, that healthcare uh, organization without that creative thinking. You know what I mean? So, so to, to expand into that, and that's how you begin the navigation. Uh, but I think that's such a great point. I mean, when you think about, sorry to interrupt you, but when you think about kids, and how we are teaching, bringing the art visualization into the uh, into the curriculum to make people understand. Like, look, this is you can make you can make money off of your ideas and your creativity, and a lot of people do it. And this is how careers like this work. Instead of just you know, we stick to very how do you take a test? I know we got to do those things, but there's a whole bunch of kids that won't take the test well. And then they're being led to believe that they don't have intelligence because they don't do one thing well. That's right. Uh, uh, if you try to, if you grade, uh, there's a meme about it or a cartoon. If you, if you try to grade a fish on his ability to climb a tree, he'll fail every time. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I think, I think Einstein said that or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But it's it's you're 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 putting a, a child who may learn differently, and this is coming from a, a, a former classroom teacher. You have to meet a child where they are and differentiate instruction uh, for that kid's learning style. If a child is a kinesthetic learner and they need to move, which is typical for boys, uh, in particular black boys, um, you know. Putting them in a classroom in a row where they have to be still for an hour is virtually impossible. And so yeah. you, you get the disruptions in classes and so on and so forth. If you're like me and a visual learner, I would zone out and I would be drawing the right. entire time 
not knowing that this could actually lead to a career, but being chastised by the teacher and saying, you're not paying attention. When in fact, that's actually how I was processing the information. So I was paying attention. It just wasn't in a conventional way. So, I mean, the title of the program, I mean, disruption, we have to disrupt how we inform and educate our kids about particularly the creative fields. And once we begin to do that, then they they can begin to, to piece things together in a way that fits their narrative as opposed to having sort of this prescriptive narrative. Hey, that's that's a great point. So let's 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 uh, let's 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 talk about infrastructure. So you're a successful artist. And so let, you you let's say you've been exposed or at least, you know, now that uh, you want to do some art. You uh, I'm assuming you have it down to the category or the type of art that you want to do. Talk about building your infrastructure to have some level of success. What advice are you giving emerging artists? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a it's a complex question. Um, and so the infrastructure itself is 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 in many instances uh, a predetermined infrastructure. So it's almost a, a, about how to either navigate that or create your own lane. So it's 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 one of two things. Uh, it could be more than that, but for the sake of this conversation. So if you're you know, for example, and I'll use graphic arts uh, as a as a um, as a lane. You know, uh, typically. If you want to be a graphic designer in, in branding and marketing and so on and so forth, uh, you have to have a four-year degree. Uh, and this is historically, you have to have a four-year degree. Um, and you come from, you know, either an art background in, 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 in uh, your, your, your K-12 space, and then you go into a post-secondary space. You don't necessarily need a master's degree to do any of that, uh, but you could. That could be uh, virtually beneficial. But at the end of the day, that infrastructure about being a graphic designer is a predetermined infrastructure historically. Now, there have been some and very famous folks uh, who have completely gone counterculture and not followed this traditional path. And because they are artists or designers or creators, basically created a completely separate process. So it's almost antithetical to what was uh, a traditional infrastructure. And that's literally how creatives operate. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they have this entrepreneurial spirit. It's like, you know, if you think about it from a hip hop standpoint, it's like, you know, Jay-Z didn't get a record deal. So they made a record company, you know, <laughs> you know, exactly. you know what I mean? So it's like, if which, you're you not can, gonna, which you can do now a lot easier than you exactly, ever could. Exactly. Exactly. And imagine doing this. This is pre-internet. He did exactly. it like pre-internet, like where they're actually pressing CDs, like they don't even press CDs anymore. So uh, to have that kind of uh, wherewithal and and, and uh, gumption uh, to do that is is you're creating your own infrastructure. Um, but you know you have you have to have like a um, a product, right? And if you're thinking yeah. about it from a you know from a uh, like a supply chain uh, standpoint, you have to have a product. That is a viable product to the market that you're trying to penetrate and in, in, uh, in, in, in thinking about it from that perspective. Most artists don't think about it from that. No, they don't think about a market or what the market is. The it's, business side. I just want to put up a, this and hope the world will see it. Well, I mean, the, generally, maybe is, I could be wrong on that, but yeah. No, no. What it is, is is that I want to express myself. There you go. I, I have, have this gift and I want to express, express myself. myself. And, and they, they continue, continue to create and evolve and create you know, beautiful pieces, but what they don't consider is developing, you know, uh, the, the, the process or the infrastructure, the business model to turn those creations into something that's profitable for them, or at the very least viable to, you know, creating a, a, a sustainable living. 
So where would you turn them to if let's say people want to do that? Like, okay, I agree with you, Damien. I don't know that. Where do I go? Where do I start? How do I start my infrastructure process? Google. I mean, we have at our <laughs> Google is your friend. And we have at our fingertips, um, you know, the, the the world, and we can literally create, um, you know, this this entire business model for whatever art form that we are creating. Uh, and again, some of those things are pre-existing. If you're a dancer, it's probably going to be a different outcome uh, or a different process and a different outcome. If you're a singer, it's probably going to be a different outcome. But you're, you're still your product is still the, the, the end result of your talent, right? Your, your gift. And basically what you want to do is package it in a way where it's palatable to the market, to, to potential funders, uh, get capital. Right. And a lot of this, Rob, in in all honesty, a lot of this, a lot of the infrastructure can be modeled after industries that already have infrastructure and you just retrofit it to whatever it is that you're trying to do individually. And and that's ultimately because at the end of the day, for those people who invest, they just want a return on their investment for you as a creator. The return on your investment is to put your work out to the world and have it be either uh, critiqued or embraced, uh, or something that informs how you evolve your your work, which is ultimately your product. And creatives don't like to think about what they do as products. Um, I know I didn't. I, it was it's this is this it's almost like giving birth. It's, this is my right. baby. This is my right. thing. You know, it came from my soul. It's not. It's not. Which a is weird. why people are nervous about putting it out the world, just like exactly. they are their kid. They're afraid exactly. of what's going to come back. The criticism. Maybe people yeah. don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you remember. You remember when uh, Erica Badu said, uh, "I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my stuff." You know. <laughs> you know. You know. That's that's the whole that's the whole thing. I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to share this with thousands and thousands of people, if not millions. Don't be too critical because I'm sensitive. You know, because that's what that's what uh, creatives are. We're empaths, you know, and but but at the end of the day, we have to be able to look at the business side or another uh, way of looking at it is we have to engage people in our network who have a business mentality and allows for us to be creative. And these are folks that we can depend on to help us create the business model. We don't have to deal with that. Yes. I mean, going to a few of your points. As uh, I consider myself, I guess, an artist in terms of products that I make uh, w- with this content, right? There's, 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 there's art behind video production. There's art behind content. There's art behind words. Um, and what I would um, advise aspiring artists, up and coming artists, is to follow a process that I follow. Essentially, you know, be intentional about networking. Reach out to people. Reach out to people that you do know and have a connection to. Start there. Get their opinion. Get their feedback. Um, Second, work to reach out to people that you don't know directly, but you may know through somebody else. Those have been some of my most beneficial yeah. uh, relationships is not not necessarily the people I know, quote unquote, my family and people that I know the best. But sometimes they are able to, through third party reference, introduce me to somebody else. You know, you going through a process of this is it's a business process, researching everybody, you know, and I, having run for office, I had to do this like I had to ask for money for a lot of people. So. You go and maybe go down and sit down and put together a database of everybody I ever met in life. Right. You had to go back and reach out to them. And, you know, that that process works out well for me now. But I would advise that same thing. And then when you're reaching out to people that you don't know, if it has to be totally cold call, there can't be any introduction. Even if there is an introduction, you still want to be intentional about why you're reaching out to X, Y, Z person. You have to do your research to say, look, I've read your work. 
cite like one sentence in their work. Yeah. And say like, yeah, I hope that, you know, we can, I could just get a chance to, to understand and connect with you so you can see my art. Maybe I can learn from you, so on and so forth. Yeah. You yeah. send out a hundred, you may get two responses back, yeah. but it only, it only takes, it only takes one to it make a big one. difference. Yep. Yep. And the other part of that, uh, as you're doing that again, because creatives, artists, um, uh, and there is a differentiation between creatives and artists, just a small one, but it's, okay. it's, it's nuanced, but you know, you have to make sure that you have a body of work, right? That is something that, that, that whatever the market is, is going to respond to. So you, so in, a, in addition to having this network and this business model and all of the things that would make that engine go, you have to create, protect your creative space and your creative process because you've got to continue to produce. You got to continue to be in and, and, and creating is based on inspiration, right? Yes. And when you think about the way the world goes and the way life goes and the ups and downs and all those sorts of things, a lot of people can, can be like, can find inspiration in a lot of different things. And, but the, but the creative process can also be stifled, you know, yes. by the way the world. So you got to be able to protect that creative space to make protect sure your own like psyche you're saying yeah, man, right. your soul protect your soul whatever drives you creatively you have to intentionally in, engage in that sort of thing to make sure that you're in that space and you can call on that to, to produce paintings drawings music uh dance pieces fill in the blank all of that stuff has to be protected you got to put yourself in a space like i know people this uh that go through a process to figure out ways where they can develop their most creative self. So I, I, I will sit when I want to have concentrated time yeah. and just listen to certain types of music, usually classical Absolutely. or something else, put on headphones and go into a zone. Absolutely. Cause I think, uh, I think the, the reason why a lot of people don't get to their creative state, there, there does have to be a level of just practice too. You just got to go out yeah. there, practice, practice. And there has to be a level of proficiency in what you're doing, no matter what you got to, you got to put in the work. And then uh, you reach a level, I think, of some creativity where you can go into a zone, but then you have to have focused time where you're just doing this. Like you're not like doing a million other things. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to some people, you know, if you're at a uh, we're not there anymore, but there there were times where like I would be sitting at, you know, uh, uh, the Eagle getting some lunch and I would be hit by a creative uh, inspiration by something I saw or something I heard. Yep. And there's got to be, I always got to have a pen with me and I always got to have a piece of paper with me, right? Because it's going to inspire something. And I got like pockets full of uh, napkins and notes and drawings and things like that that would inspire a design or inspire something else. Music is a part of my creative process as well. So I'm listening to Miles Davis, John Coltrane, uh, you know, uh, a whole... Uh, Jay-Z, I'm going way back in the hip-hop history. I'm listening to Cold Crush Brothers and, you know, like like really digging in the crates uh, sort of a thing. I'll go to, like, everybody's records. You know what I mean? Like, the, the record store in, in Pleasant Ridge and just go put my mask on and, and dig in the crates and, and, and be inspired or reminded by a point in time in history of my past that reminds me of high school, that reminds me of the first girl I dated. You know what I mean? A right. song that, and those yeah. things inspire my creative process. And it may be different for other people, but those things have to be protected and you have to be intentional. Otherwise you will not create anything worth sharing with the, yeah. the yeah. general public. So let's talk about ownership and equity as part of where the art and equity summit yeah. here. 
how do you navigate the process and ownership? Like we, as we know, as black people, we've been creating art forever. We, we, yeah. we don't own a lot of it. You can ask a lot of people, you can ask Prince, you can ask, uh, you can ask Dave Chappelle. You yeah. can ask a lot of people that create, yeah. you can ask Nick Cannon who, yeah. you know, like they went on to find out, Oh, I don't own this. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> I've created these, I've created these things. They're a lot of money, but if I say something out of step, if I get out of line or if yeah. I, or if I just want to leave and have my own independence, none of that money's coming with me. I mean, yeah. talk about, as you develop your brand, you you get your exposure, you get your infrastructure, ownership. Yeah, How man, you approach that. You know, I think a lot of lessons and case studies uh, have been developed for us to pay very close attention to. You cited two of really important ones: uh, Dave Chappelle, who is a creative. I mean, comedy is an art form. Uh, uh, Prince, God rest him, like he was a genius. But for almost nearly a decade, had slave written on the side of his face, had to change his name like that is that was literally a strategic legal move so that uh, he can begin to own his creative product. Like navigating the space of equity and ownership is a is a difficult one if when you're when you're trying to broach into a space, if you sign away all of the rights to, to, you know, your, yourself, your, and, your and, and people didn't know. And, and, and didn't know. Dave, in Dave's defense and Prince's defense, that's how the, that, that's how it went. Right. That's yeah. what you did yeah. in the day. And you didn't, you, you were trying to, you saw a, a million dollars, you saw $2 million. You're like, okay, this seems like a good yeah. deal. What yeah. people I'm sure didn't recognize is that, wait, you're giving away all of your likeness and everything yes. and in every yes. single way forever. Yeah. Yes. In Steve, eternity. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a uh, he's a he's a, a marketing impresario now, but he used to be a, a, a record uh, executive. His name is Steve Stout. Um, and uh, he was responsible for launching Nas's career, Mary J. Blige. And um, but at a certain point, he recognized that marketing was a field that he was really interested in. He produced um, uh, Will Smith's Big Willie style album. Oh yeah, uh, and he had a, yeah he had a he had a group called the Trackmasters that produced it. Uh, but what he had recognized when they produced the the, the soundtrack to Men in Black uh, is that they that went platinum, but Ray Ban glasses sold more than the records, and that's what changed his mind to to, to diving into marketing. I say all that to say recently he's launched this whole ownership approach to, to artists creating their own content and it's called United Masters. Um, and essentially he's, he's encouraging new artists to, before they sign any kind of deals, 360 deals, whatever the deals name, before you even think about that, think about what you're signing off. And basically he, in, in, in a recent post, I think it was recent, uh, but I just ran across it. He, he basically sort of summed it up by saying when they approach you uh, for paying you for this deal, whatever this astronomical number is, and you're from the hood and you've never seen this kind of money. Basically, what you're doing is you're signing over all of your creative content, your name, your likeness, any evolution of that. And you are renting your own persona from those people that you signed it off to. Yeah. <laughs> and you're renting it at like 20 percent. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? You're renting yourself for 20%. It's like sharecropping. It's creative. It's like in a, in a digital creative space, it's like sharecropping. And, and it's an absurdity. But what he wants uh, these young it's especially artists, an absurdity now because you don't need them to. You don't have to. 
you don't have to do it. And that's the point that he is making. Make sure that before you sign any of those things away, you recognize the power that you have not only in your art form, but in, in your ability to, to manage and own your business, the business side of all of that. So that's for me is, 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 is step one in the case study of owning uh, and finding equity because nobody's going to give you equity if they can profit off of it. No, I mean, nobody that, that's we're in a capitalistic system. That's not changing. Exactly. No one's going to give you equity. You have yeah. to understand the game as it's played. Yeah. And the game has always been played this way. Yep. And we have to now uh, understand it. We have a lot more people to learn from and examples, yeah. both both uh, good examples, but also painful examples to yeah. learn from yeah. and move from there. Yeah. Um, final point I want to talk about is. Uh, when we talk about the constructs and some of the barriers and in infrastructure, you know, there there are many. Uh, there are, you know, we know a lot of these museum centers are not diverse, to say the least. Um, they're usually the opposite of diversity. Uh, we know that they're in a space that I think if they don't pivot, they might they might find themselves in a space that uh, where are they going to grow? Right. Because their, their target market is an older demographic that is yeah. not going to stay. Right. That's not I mean, by definition. Right. Father Time is undefeated. Yep. Uh, and yep. so we have like, I think we talked about operas, other people, they have a very, they have an audience limited that they're not really thinking about, well, how am I going to, how am I going to uh, think about and get an audience outside of just this audience? That's one. And then I want to have another kind of follow up. What's your thought just about that, about the approach to the art scene and how they are geared towards people that probably have, not probably, they definitely have the most money, but that doesn't mean Long term, that's the best uh, marketing strategy. It was it was a terrible business strategy. <laughs> think about it. No, think about it. I mean, it was a terrible business strategy. It, it had it, it made the assumption uh, that this particular white Western European art form, be it uh, uh, um, opera or be it um, orchestral music or fill in the blank, was going to be uh, was going to stand the test of time up against technology and cultural shifts uh, and, and that the people that were their, their initial patrons was going to be sh- powerful enough to go against those cultural shifts and, 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 and uh, bring into the fold more and more generations after them to appreciate it. Now, what they didn't, what they weren't able to, to see, and nobody had a crystal ball, was the advent of social media, was the advent of, of these kinds of technologies. But they also weren't able to, to predict. Uh, but somebody should have thought about it, I think. Yeah, they should have. But that's what happens when you have the same people in the same room all same the time. Room, right. But what they should have been able to predict is a shifting in culture where values were, begin, were going to be more and more shared. So you got right. black people, Hispanic people, people of all different uh, races where they have differences in their races, but their values, the things that they value are beginning to be. Shared. I'm sure I'm sure they heard people. I'm sure you were in some of those rooms and I'm sure you told them. Yeah. yeah. But the leadership yeah. doesn't listen. Yeah. But here's the they thing. They don't have to. The, the thing is, this is, should have been a, a, something that people begin to think about decades ago because yeah, yeah. there was no pipeline created for changing the face of orchestral musicians. You go to most orchestras and the predominant culture is white culture. You got and, and you'll have like a smattering of, of, of minorities. But those people aren't going to be as as um, as sort of well versed in, in, in the field of orchestral music without starting in like second grade. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? And so the pipeline is a really long pipeline and nobody thought about it, you know, two, 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 three decades ago. And And people still aren't doing enough to address it. I mean, it's not doing enough now. And so because they're not doing enough now and they hadn't done enough then, the the business model becomes hits a brick wall. And and so then you start thinking about the future and, you know, the, the folks who are their major patrons are baby boomers. So demographically, you know, those are folks who are, you know, in the next 10 years, well, father time is undefeated, like just like you said, in the next 10, 10, 15 years, that entire patron group is going to be gone. What was done to cultivate the next set of patrons? If nothing was done, then you're you're jeopardizing the business. Of, <laughs> well, whatever, luckily though, right, the, the internet allows the democratization of this process. So this is, this is why we're doing this. I mean, as you know, we're building a platform to do just that, allow people to protect and sell their art. And we will focus on diverse artists because if you don't do it, you will get disrupted. Like that's, the, that's the great thing about this current environment. Uh, if you don't innovate, you fail to innovate, others will. Uh, and so we just got to do that. But um, final question on this. Um, uh, when you think about people that say they are solving this problem, right? Uh, older institutions, charitable institutions, uh, they often suffer suffer from the same problems of the of the of the for profit industries you just talked about, or the art or or the um, traditional art uh, venues you just mentioned. They have the same view, and they, from my perspective, they see it as a kind of how inclusion is overall. Like diversity and inclusion is not in your DNA; it's a side project. Check mark. Check the box. This is what we do. This is. You see that we've invested in those three black programs. That's our thing. So, but it doesn't really change when you actually look at, well, what do the numbers look like? What does your leadership look like? What does your investment look like in the community? Uh, Overall, when you put it in perspective, you you hear these big numbers, like we're putting whatever, $5 million into this. And then when you actually dive into it, that's a drop in the overall bucket. Like, What's your approach with this, actually, with your real you've had real experience on the ground and frustrations with this. Just want to get your thoughts and, and just 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 feedback on this. Yeah. My minority arts organizations in the Cincinnati area, I think, make up uh, I'm being conservative, uh, I'm being generous, make probably maybe four percent of all the arts organization. That's very generous, I think. Um, and when you're talking about diversity, equity and inclusion, And you talk about it the way that it's being talked about now. My concern is that it is a response and a reaction to uh, social injustice or other kinds of influencers that that were so egregious in most recent times that folks were sort of shocked into making these broad, uh, heartfelt, quasi meaningful statements. The reason that it seems disingenuous to us is because this isn't new to us. Right. Like these kinds of like killing black people and stuff like that. This this has been happening throughout the course of American history. And I think because you saw it on TV this time, it shocked you. And it maybe the the, the the pandemic forced everybody to sort of pay very close attention to it. Right. But in ninety one they were beating Rodney King and that was caught on video and it was like a, a VHS with a camcorder. Like it wasn't like the you know what I'm saying? And they were actually held. Here's the thing. They were actually held accountable. They got off in their first trial, but they got a federal trial and they got they got convicted by a Republican president. Think about how much we've changed from that. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so we've actually gone backwards in some ways. Backwards in some ways. Yep. Yep. yep when you think about it. And but the, like the, the art piece, though, getting to the, yeah. the the equity piece of it. 
Yeah. What I found, at least, is that um, there can be some well-meaning people not understanding that. And I think this is where you were going. Let me know. But we're not talking. We're not. Everything's not about. We're not talking about charity in this. We're talking about yeah. investment and equity. You invest in this because, one, th- these are good artists and this is a good economic opportunity. You are missing out on this. This is a business opportunity. This is not a hand me out charity. Even these are if we invest in these artists. Yep. They can and will produce more value for your museum, for your collection, so on and so forth. Yeah. What? Okay. So let me ask this. When you think about this in a broad cultural standpoint, what part of any economic driver of culture in America has not been touched by black and brown people? There's not one. Not a single solitary one. What we're talking about preserving is historical connections to white Western European art forms. There is nothing wrong with preserving that. What we what we're what we're saying is make a concerted investment in the kinds of art that is it's not antithetical to that. It's basically a parallel to that. And it's just as important. Right. It's just as important. And it's not to be exploited. Right. When you're thinking about it from another perspective and you're just trying to make money off of it or you're just trying to reach a particular quota and do a box checking exercise, that's exploitation. It's inauthentic. We can smell that a mile away. Uh, And that's not what we want to engage in. If you really want to judge what somebody truly believes in, identify where they spend their money and spend their time like that'll let you know very specifically. And what we're trying to figure out in this particular uh, uh, space is how do we. This is the challenging thing about it, man, because I don't I'm not I've never liked asking people for anything. You know what I mean? So I I don't want to I don't want this to be a situation where we sort of advocating for, you know, getting folks to give reparations to the the hundreds of years of of of, of exploiting African, African-American artists or black and brown artists. That's not what I, I would advocate for. I'm saying judge it on on its merit, invest in it on its merit. But don't just make that uh, 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 circumstantial or situational just because of the times that are happening on a social uh, um, platform right now, because that's inauthentic. Give it look at it and know for a fact that this is a valuable contribution to the city, to the to, to American culture, to the fabric of the United States of America. And it's just as important as white western european art and i'm not i'm not begging for that kind of acknowledgement I'm, not begging either, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying look at it and tell me that it, you you couldn't you couldn't honestly look at it and say that it's not you yeah i just want to change the narrative on the conversation it, it yeah. shouldn't be viewed as charity it it's should be viewed as a, as a wise investment this is how i view not only art this is how i i view the i view the conversation on diversity and inclusion which begins to wear me out because i'm like i, I don't I almost don't even want to hear people's diversity and inclusion stuff because I just think it's it's the place you go to pretend like you're doing something or or it's the place you go uh, to have a gatekeeper say, oh, this is what we're doing. And, you know, the black wrangler or the black and brown wrangler like I, I'm done with those as <laughs> as diversity and inclusion programs like I, you can you can pass me on that. And if you want to give two thousand dollars, you can keep it like that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, that I think is the sentiment of a of a groundswell of 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 my young progressive and I include myself in there. So young may be a subjective term. I'm old, but you know, uh, just progressive like people who are uh, uh, on the wave of of this black renaissance. 
uh, as one of my friends, Rico Grant, uh, says, is a it's a renaissance, and and nobody's asking for permission. Nobody's asking for you to 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 like it. We know it's value. We we valued it. <laughs> you know, yeah. we we valued it. So there there's a there's a valuation put on it by what we find important. Now, whether or not you want to invest in the infrastructure, the 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 promotion of it, the advancement of it, we welcome those allies. We welcome those conversations. But don't do it so that your your percentage of diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, can have an uptick uh, on your annual report. That's not what this is about at all. This is truly about collaboration, connection, and understanding that we have shared values in these forms, and we value every different aspect of culture, whether they're black and lesbian or Hispanic or you know fill in the blank. There's a there's a message to be told. There's a story to be told and it, and it is, and I'm not saying it should be valued. It will be valued. Whether you value it or not, that's completely up to you, but it will be valued. And by valuing it, we put, um, there, there's, there's currency that needs to support that and will support it. Uh, and then that will begin to grow, uh, and expand, you know, the, the more we put attention to it, uh, and, and be, be intentional about that attention. And all of that is a critical com- uh, uh, component to advancing this work forward. But the, the whole idea of charity, I, I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm not I'm, yeah. I, I'm not that guy at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you, man. Look, Damian Hoskins, it's been a pleasure, man. My Look pleasure. forward to working more with you. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Rob. Take care. Thank you.